You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. A Vancouver Island woman with late stage cancer says BC's healthcare system is broken and it caused a major delay in her diagnosis and treatment. As Catherine Urquhart reports, she's worried many more cancer patients in the province are slipping through the cracks and paying the ultimate price. Big drive, big drive. Kristen Logan is a strong woman who likes a challenge, but not the one she's facing now. The Campbell River mother is battling stage four ovarian cancer. I just had a procedure done yesterday to drain fluid from the lining of my lungs. Her diagnosis came in September, about six months after she started reporting symptoms to doctors. Symptoms that included extreme bloating, breathing difficulties and pain in her ribcage. In September, a trip to the ER found fluid on her lungs and her husband pushed for more tests. So they did a second CT scan this time of my abdomen and my pelvis. And that's when they found that I had a bunch of fluid there too, as well as uh, some thickening in the uh, peritoneum lining and, and omentum lining that indicated that I might have cancer. With the stage four cancer diagnosis, came the promise she would receive immediate treatment. But a referral in September led to an October appointment and word surgery had a three to four month long wait list. Chemotherapy was ordered. And weeks later, Logan said she was told there was no record of her being referred for chemo. With this is a very aggressive uh, form of ovarian cancer. Um, so, you know, we didn't have that time that we lost. BC's health minister said he couldn't comment on specifics of the case, but noted patients can lodge concerns with BC's patient care quality offices. Healthcare system doesn't always get it right, and that's why uh, we have this set up, and people can as well raise these issues as has been done in this case publicly. As a dual citizen and former U.S. Air Force veteran, Logan has been able to get treatment in Washington State the past few months something she believes has kept her alive. I would not be having this conversation with you. I would not be here anymore, um, without a doubt. This, this cancer is lethal. Getting help in the United States has caused financial strain and separated her family with Logan's husband left behind in Campbell River to care for their daughter. But she says there was no choice and she's relieved to finally be getting the chemotherapy she desperately needs. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. The search continues for high-risk sex offender Randall Hopley, who was due to appear in court today. He disappeared on the weekend after taking off his electronic monitoring bracelet. Police say they've received several tips about Hopley in the past 48 hours, but so far, he's still out there somewhere. Kristen Robinson reports. He was here. We, yeah. we, we don't know him. We, we saw him every day. Notorious sex offender Randall Hopley still missing and wanted Canada-wide. The convicted child abductor disappeared Saturday when police say he failed to return to his downtown Eastside halfway house. He just walked out. I guess he signed out saying he was going to a drift store and uh, never returned. He cut his bracelet off. The VPD recovered Hopley's ankle monitoring bracelet two and a half kilometers away from the Salvation Army Harbor Light, where the 58-year-old had been living. Please don't talk to the reporters, okay? Do not answer the questions. 
Hopley was last seen leaving the community residential facility at 3 p.m. Do you know what kind of monitoring he was we under here? To to How much supervision would he have been under there? Not really too much. As long as he signed out, he was free to come and go as he pleased. Hopley made national headlines in 2011 when he snatched a three-year-old boy from his home in Sparwood, setting off a Canada-wide search. Hopley returned the child four days later, physically unharmed. He pleaded guilty to abduction and other offenses and was sentenced to seven years in prison. In November 2018, the VPD issued an urgent warning, saying Hopley posed a significant risk to harm young boys. People kind of stayed away from him. Everybody knew what he was there for and uh, nobody really wanted too much to do with him. Hopley vanished two days before he was scheduled to go on trial in provincial court on two charges of breaching his long-term supervision order in Vancouver last November. He had expressed concerns about um, some upcoming court appearances. Hopley is accused of using a library computer station less than a meter away from young children while under VPD surveillance last year. Police believe Hopley may be staying in a forested area or encampment and they're ramping up their search. We've communicated with police agencies throughout the province, from Sparwood to the Sunshine Coast, to let everybody know that he's out there and that we need to find him. Hopley was not under active police surveillance when he allegedly breached his curfew. It's sad that he was given such a, a free range to leave. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Keith Baldry joins us now with more on the reaction to Hopley's disappearance. And Keith, questions about our justice system came up in the halls of the legislature today. Yeah, the subject of two fairly big and long-lasting scrums with both the government and the opposition. The opposition arguing that uh, the government should stop pointing all the fingers at the parole board and take a closer look at how provincial authorities fared in this matter. Uh, but the Attorney General says the Crown did what it could to keep him behind bars. Here's the two of them. It is important to note that our, our Crown Council did ask for detention in this scenario. Um, clearly, you know, this is a primary importance to all of us, and I just want to urge people again that if they have any information to please uh, tell them the police. The Premier and certainly the Attorney General should be not just trying to blame Ottawa, but perhaps looking into the circumstances that we're dealing with as to how the decision was made to consent to a release for Mr. Hopley into the community. Um, because, you know, he's not the first person to cut off an ankle monitor and run away. But he is, I would say, a, an extremely rare case in British Columbia, one that has um, a lot of people on edge. So it now turns, uh, turns out uh, as well that our Attorney General, Nikki Sharma, is actually from Sparwood. She remembers the incident, said it caused tremendous uh, trauma to her local community. And again, pleading for anyone with any information about him to notify police as soon as he can. No doubt. Let's hope someone has some information that helps. Thanks, Keith. Yeah. All right. Well, the search for a missing Indigenous woman in northern B.C. has come to a tragic end. RCMP say Chelsea heron was found dead in a wooded area of the Saikou's First Nation in Vanderhoof. A 29-year-old woman disappeared October 11th, sparking a massive search throughout northern B.C. The cause of death isn't known yet, and it's not clear whether her death was considered suspicious. In a statement, her mother, Pam Heron, says Chelsea had the most amazing spirit, beautiful strength and independence. Most importantly, she had an incredible impact on those in her life. We will not rest until we get answers. 
heartbreaking victim impact statements in a rich, Richmond courtroom today at the sentencing hearing for a Vancouver man for dangerous driving causing death. As Grace Key reports, the families of the two young UBC students who died described the pain and anguish of losing their children just weeks after dropping them off for the school year. In court, we heard how 18-year-old Emily Selwood gave out the most amazing hugs, and she had a note on her door that read, Be Kind. 18-year-old Evan Smith loved the outdoors and had a passion for drumming. Tim Gorner pled guilty to two counts of dangerous driving causing death in a joint submission. Both sides are recommending three years in jail plus a five-year driving ban. Gorner was 21 years old when he lost control of his BMW at UBC and hit Emily and Evan while they were walking on Marine Drive near the residences back on September 26, 2021. In an agreed statement of facts, we heard how Gorner had been at a party and was drinking. Alcohol was found in his system, but how much he was drinking, we don't know. That was not part of the agreed statement of facts. He was speeding about 100 kilometers an hour. At one point after the collision, Gorner tried to comfort Emily. First responders said he was visibly emotional and had to be led away. In victim impact statements, Evan's mother said, you robbed me of my baby. All my memories are tangled with sadness. Emily's mother said during their first Christmas without her, they couldn't eat. They just cried and then packed up the food. Gorner and his parents wept as they heard the statements. Gorner also addressed the court, saying he realizes he will never truly understand the pain and anguish the families have experienced and will continue to feel for the rest of their lives. He is filled with anguish and shame. His lawyer talked about how Gorner is a high achiever, both academically and athletically. He mentioned his various charitable contributions and how he continues to have the support of his family. He was an international student, an Australian and German national, so he is going to be deported at some point. The judge will be coming back with a decision 2 p.m. on Tuesday. In Richmond, Grace Key, Global News. A rock slide just west of Karameos has triggered a local state of emergency. It's forced evacuations and shut down a part of Highway 3. One property had a few windows broken. And that's as far as I know of. Several large rocks came tumbling down onto the highway. A close call for several residents there. The regional district says about 25 properties are affected. Crews can't assess the rock slide because of poor weather and there is no timeline as to when the road might reopen. It's a fairly significant impact because not only are you affecting uh, commerce with uh, the trucks going through, um, you're also dealing with emergency services. So for instance, um, a hospital in Princeton, now the ambulance will have to go all the way around to Highway 97C to get into Peachland to get over to Penticton or to Kelowna. The highway is expected to be closed at least until Tuesday afternoon. Well, keeping the homeless warm and dry has Comox thinking creatively with a cold, wet winter ahead. As Kylie Stanton shows us, the regional district is even considering turning its visitor's center into temporary overnight shelter space. They're all bundled up with nowhere to go. The homeless here in the Comox Valley are doing their best to stay warm as local governments scramble to find extreme weather shelter sites. Now we're looking for a temporary space, uh, basically from beginning of November to the end of March, covering the winter months. The Comox Valley Visitor Centre off Highway 19 has been put forward as a potential option. 
And while the location is not especially ideal, being a fair drive from the Courtney Comox downtown core, requiring the municipalities to cover $91,000 in transportation and security costs, at this point, there isn't much choice. At the end of the day, that's going to get vetted uh, by the coalition to end homelessness. And then, of course, we'd want, you know, fire protection in there, making sure that it's a safe place for people to stay. But even if approved, this space would only provide shelter for between 10 and 20 people. Nowhere near meeting the need. The 2023 Comox Valley point-in-time count identified 272 people as experiencing homelessness. In 2020, that number was just 132, a jump of 106%. They're people's family members, friends, family, and, you know, uh, everyone deserves basically a place to, you know, put their head at night and, and hopefully have some shelter. The situation has driven some into rather desperate circumstances. Just last week, a 53-year-old man and his dog were sheltering in a bin like this one when a recycling truck picked it up and proceeded to empty it. Both suffered minor injuries. Advocates say the close call serves as a wake-up call the province. We have uh, funded right now 5,000 shelters across 50 communities uh, and if Comox uh, believes they need more shelter capacity and they can find a location for us, uh, we'd be willing to find ways to get more shelter spaces available for them. Already five days into the provincially funded extreme weather shelter program, the clock is ticking and temperatures will only continue to drop with every passing day. Kylie Stanton, Global News. It's been sitting idle for more than a year due to funding concerns and safety issues. But late this afternoon, we got some good news about the miniature train in Stanley Park. And our Cassidy Moscone is live at the park with the details. Cassidy, it won't be long now and it should be back in action finally. Well, that's what we're told. Sophie, November 30, mark that date in your diary as the scheduled uh, opening date for the wheels to start turning again here in Stanley Park. It was an absolute nightmare from the city when the locomotive went offline, forced into closure after failing a technical safety BC inspection that declared the train in a decrepit state. It was unsafe, brakes faulting, tracks rusting, and the railway was coming loose from the ground. Fast forward a little over 12 months and inject $650,000 cash and we have an open date. It didn't come without its challenges. We heard in the press conference just a little earlier there were issues trying to track down specialist parts but they got there thanks mainly to the help of generous donors. Mayor Ken Sim vowing the attraction will be safe and operating for years to come. We don't live in La La Land, like uh, households across the city, we have financial constraints like everyone else. And so we reached out uh, to the community and we raised uh, over $500,000 to fund it. That way um, we could get it open earlier and um, it wouldn't cost taxpayers uh, very much at all. So it's welcome news for the city and, of course, the BC Burns Fund. The organisation relies so heavily on donations from its Bright Lights event, which is held uh, every festive season here in the park. Last year, um, it only managed to raise half of its funds that it usually does. So let's hope donations get back up there. Chris and Sophie. Absolutely. All right. Thanks for that. Cassidy Moscone in Stanley Park tonight. Well, living close to nature is a major draw for residents of Port Moody, but not like this.
the neighbors were coming out and they're like, we think it's in the car. And he's like, yeah, it's in the car. How a bear got trapped in the family minivan and the extreme damage it caused. Next on the News Hour. They show the right ad to the right customer at the right time uh, on the right screen. Resistance is futile. How artificial intelligence could influence what and where you shop this holiday season. And the next step in finally building the Burnaby gondola. How you can help get the job done coming up. Right now, though, a Port Moody family has a warning for everyone living in bear country. Don't forget to lock your vehicle. That's right. As Angela Jung reports, the smell of one granola bar still in its wrapper might have been the catalyst for a car owner's catastrophe. This beady-eyed intruder caught red-handed. Now my van is completely trashed. Leanne Cedarberg believes she must have left a door unlocked. Early Sunday morning, the bear scouted its target. The bear was, you know, playing with the windshield wiper here, and then I can see all these paw prints. Inside, mangled metal and shredded car parts. The bear has completely destroyed this van. Take a look here. The inside has so much damage. And this door won't even open now. It also left an unbearable stench. I'm pretty sure that he must have urinated a bunch because there's still like lots of wet spots and the seats are wet. Cedarberg is used to seeing bears in the neighborhood. There's a bear in our house. One even came into her mudroom. It's right there. But she didn't think a bear could get inside her vehicle and she's not sure why it did. In this pocket there was like one little thing of those made good granola bar things but that wasn't even touched. Would a bear be able to smell this? Definitely. Bears have great senses of smell, so even if it's in a, a wrapper or saran wrap or a, a plastic bag, they can definitely smell these attractants. You got some sort of leverage up here. Just Exactly one year ago, a black bear broke into this Maple Ridge car, likely because of a forgotten lunch. Conservation officer service reminding the public bears are trying to fatten up right now. These bears in hyperphagia, trying to eat as much food as they can. The bear got out after they used a remote to open the door. Cedarberg says she'll be more diligent. Has definitely given me the reminder to lock my doors. So I just wanted to give that reminder to others because it's really awful when your car gets trashed. To prevent a bear glory. Angela Jung, Global News. Well, this time of year is typically pretty quiet for a wildlife rehabilitation center in the Fraser Valley. But right now, there's an overwhelming number of calls coming in for sick and dead birds. Aaron MacArthur reports on the probable cause and especially deadly strain of avian flu. Avian influenza is back in the Fraser Valley. Migrating birds have brought the disease with them. Dead and dying geese easy to spot in Chilliwack. Uh, avian flu, You're which right. has quadrupled our workload. Most of the calls about infected birds come here. The phone ringing off the hook at Elizabeth Rescue Society in Abbotsford. Dozens of calls a day. Staff at the rescue center, which is entirely funded by donations, simply can't keep up. 
I want to make that clear. There's no government funding provincially or federally. We never have had it, and we haven't, haven't received anything. Sick wild birds mean sick commercial flocks. So far this fall, seven poultry farms in the Fraser Valley have been quarantined as a result of the highly pathogenic H5N1 strain. The number this year province-wide is up to 104 farms. It has meant the culling of more than three and a half million birds. Financially, it's devastating. Like, this is not something that's built into our costs that are, are at the grocery store. The Canadian Food Inspection Agency is responsible for dealing with avian influenza. There is compensation for farmers who see their entire flocks euthanized. But the process, according to the industry, is cumbersome. The provincial government has increased funding for testing. Just last spring, we did have a $5 million uh, grant program that went to farmers to help them be more prepared. Strict biosecurity measures in place have kept this current outbreak to just the seven farms. But with the number of sick wild birds so high, more crossover and losses at poultry farms seems likely. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Just ahead, the simple mistake that cost $10,000. I made a mistake just by putting in the wrong decimal point. How a massive overpayment to Rogers Internet Service turned into a massive headache until Consumer Matters got involved. Also tonight, a cost of living study that shows BC is about as bad as it gets. Steady in both directions at the Patello Bridge right now, but anticipate delays later on tonight for ongoing construction that's mainly affecting northbound traffic. Contact Kermac for expert windshield repair and replacement services while supporting Kermac Cares for Kids. Kermac is celebrating 50 years of collision at our glass services, and that's no accident. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. A B.C. senior is sharing his frustration after he accidentally made a major overpayment on his Internet bill. And while he admitted the mistake was his, he didn't expect it would be such a hassle getting his money back. Consumer Matters reporter Andrew has stepped in to investigate and joins us now with the details. And Thanks, Sophie. Gino Gemma says the process of correcting an overpayment on his Internet bill turned into a customer service nightmare. Now he's sharing his story, hoping others, especially seniors, Avoid the same experience. I made a mistake just by putting in the wrong decimal point, and it went to it went to ten thousand six forty. It was a simple error. Gino Gemma says led to plenty of stress and frustration. Big business doesn't really care about their customers. Back in October, the 89-year-old made an online payment to his Shaw now Rogers internet account. Instead of paying one hundred and six dollars and forty cents. He accidentally overpaid Rogers over $10,000. Gino says he didn't realize his mistake until his daughter noticed the unusual payment. I was horrified because, <laughs> for one thing, I can't afford the $10,000 you know, $10, like that to go out of my account for nothing. And I realized it was my mistake, and I was quite you know, willing to admit that. The Port Moody resident says he reached out to Rogers immediately and says he was told a refund check of over $10,000 would be mailed to his home in a week. But when seven days came and went, Gino says he began to worry. He called Rogers back. This time, he says he was told the check would take up to six weeks to arrive. I said, I want to talk to somebody in management because I've had, had it trying to get through to, you know, 
the level that I'm at now and not getting anything. And so then she says, well, let me see if I can get management. And that's when her phone went dead. And I thought, this is it. And that's when I decided to go to Global. Consumer Matters reached out to Rogers on Gino's behalf. Three days later, Gino received his refund check by courier. Right away I felt, whoa, thank God for my getting in touch with Global because this really made something happen. But Rogers has a different explanation. It told Consumer Matters the day Gino requested a manager, one did call him back to expedite the process, but messages were left on the wrong number, a phone number attached to a different account Gino has with Rogers. Rogers stating, we understand bill overpayments can happen and how important it is for our customers to get their money back quickly. We were happy to expedite a refund for Mr. Gemma. We work hard to provide the best experience for our customers in every interaction, and we apologize to our customer for a frustrating experience. That's all lip service. We'll believe it when we see it. While he says a weight has been lifted off his shoulders, Gino hopes by sharing his story, no one has to endure the same treatment in the future. And that's why I'm doing this, because seniors like myself, I just turned 89, and I don't want to see this happen to anybody else. And just to add, Rogers also told Consumer Matters it has shared feedback with its team to help them improve the refund process and support materials for its customer service agents. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can always email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. Great stuff. Thanks very much, Ann. Well, from the stratospheric cost of housing to gas to going out for a meal, British Columbians pay more for pretty much everything. That's right. There's nowhere in the country more unaffordable. And as Richard Zussman reports, it's dominating debate in the halls of power. It's a problem that's lasting so long it may soon be worth a slogan change, as beautiful British Columbia is very much beautiful, unaffordable British Columbia. Under his watch, British Columbia has become the most unaffordable province in the country, tightening the NDP's middle-class squeeze. His watch is referring to Premier David Eby. NBC United's claims backed up by Westland Insurance, recently examining publicly available data for 55 different affordability metrics, concluding the BC's in the top three most expensive in 60% of categories and is the most expensive when it comes to buying and renting property, purchasing plane tickets, using public transportation, going to see the dentist, getting new clothes and staying in a hotel. Bill, a constituent writes, and I quote, one would think that getting a raise at work would allow for some disposable income. This is the farthest from reality. It doesn't even cover the increased cost of fuel, let alone the rising cost of everything else. The average home price BC-wide hovering right around a million dollars, with the national average closer to half a million dollars. This as people here make less money on average than most provinces. Just one metric is a surge in the use of food banks. In March alone, 60,000 children in our province had no alternative but to rely on the food bank. The province attempting to address cost of living, implementing new rebates for lower income families, making transit free for kids and creating more low cost childcare spaces. When you add it all up, it makes a difference in people's lives and we have to keep looking at that. And at the, at the same time, we're not gonna cut services to people. 
The province has provided affordability rebates both through ICBC and BC Hydro and is not ruling out doing it again. We're looking at that, Richard, and saying what, what can we do more to help people. We're definitely looking at what we have done, but we're also looking at what more we can do. An attempt to make sure the best place on earth is also not one of the most expensive. Richard Lewis from Global News, Victoria. And BC's Premier joins all the others in Halifax to share his concerns about the growing cost of living. They may not agree on everything, but they're united on one thing, what they're demanding from the federal government next. Also tonight, the uphill battle to build the Burnaby Gondola. How you can help. Traffic is moving well both ways over at the Portman Bridge with just a bit of leftover Monday night volume eastbound on Highway 1 through the Burnaby Lake stretch and into Coquitlam. Kermat Collision and Auto Glass's newest location is in Vancouver on Southwest Marine Drive, conveniently located between Camby and Oak. Kermat, the most trusted name in collision repair for 50 years. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. Canada's premiers are sending a strong message to the federal government about leveling the playing field on fuel costs. Their demand comes as a conservative motion to expand a carbon tax pause to all forms of home heating was voted down. Global's Kyle Benning has more. Canada's premiers met in Halifax with some renewing messages to Ottawa drop carbon pricing on all forms of home heating. Provincial and territorial leaders looking for a level playing field for Canadians given increases in the cost of living. And so the issue isn't the policy, uh, it's, the, it's how the policy is being applied. We do think that there should be a similar consideration given to the people of Manitoba. It comes after the Prime Minister announced a three-year pause on the carbon tax for people who use home heating oil. The exemption largely benefits Atlantic Canadians, where about 30% of homes run on home heating oil. They meant it to be divisive, and we're rejecting that. We think that's ridiculous. But we also uh, reject the ridiculous approach of the Conservatives, who don't even have a plan to deal with one of the biggest worries on Canadians' minds. The federal NDP was calling for a GST pause on energy bills to help all Canadians, but instead voted in favour of the Conservative motion to expand the carbon pricing pause to all forms of home heating. He is panicked now and put a pause on the carbon tax for 3% of Canadians in ridings where his polls are plummeting and his MPs are revolting. That motion failed after the Bloc Québécois sided with the Liberals. Meantime, fractures between Premiers and the Feds are starting to show. We also agreed to explore legislative options uh, that would require provincial authorization uh, before municipalities or public agencies can enter into any agreements with the federal government. Quebec currently has a similar bill in place. One expert says while better collaboration between provinces and Ottawa can lead to better outcomes, this could add more obstacles. It risks slowing things down a great deal because, of course, it just makes the negotiations all the more complex. Kyle Benning, Global News. The provincial government is starting an anti-vaping campaign in schools. Today's letter is F for formaldehyde. This video, just one in a series highlighting vape products, dangerous ingredients and health impacts. Last week, posters and pamphlets were distributed to schools that provide more information on the health risks of vaping and offering resources for anyone who wants to quit. According to Statistics Canada, 30% of youth aged 15 to 19 have tried vaping. Coming up, the future of shopping is already here.
They're looking to drive sales. They're looking to reduce costs. How retailers are using artificial intelligence to feed you deals too good to refuse. But first in sports, the four words that matter most to the Vancouver Canucks as they take on the struggling Edmonton Oilers tonight. Take a moment to reflect. BC Remembers, live on Global BC and BC One, Saturday, November 11th from 10.30 a.m. Brought to you by the Royal Canadian Legion. We remember to honour Canada's veterans. Well, TransLink is asking the public for input on the proposed Burnaby Mountain gondola. The gondola would provide an estimated 25,000 trips up to Simon Fraser University. A new online survey asks people to share their thoughts about the project, along with details on their travel patterns and modes of transportation when traveling to Burnaby Mountain. Two in-person information sessions are also taking place. The gondola has not yet been approved by TransLink, nor has it received funding, but the Transit Authority says this public consultation process will support the project's business case. So have your say if you want. So how are we all feeling about our dark afternoon? Uh, I know, it's been <laughs> a change. <laughs> no, no, uh, Gordo's giving it the old, forget it. I am so anti-change, uh, time change, because it's terrible. I would way rather that daylight at the end of the day versus in the morning. I'm not much of a morning person. So 4.43 was the sunset tonight. You probably felt it, everyone, didn't you? Uh, we're still losing about three minutes each day in terms of daylight. And uh, as you well know, uh, as we approach sort of about December 21st, uh, we'll continue with those uh, days getting shorter and shorter. Uh, we did see a quite a bit of cloud cover across southern BC last night. It was tough to see the Aurora Borealis, but this neat video or time-lapse shot from uh, Greg Reilly captures sort of that glow off in the distance. This is looking out over Asuyus. So thank you so much to Greg for that one. Uh, some northern portions of the province caught a better glimpse of it. Uh, the reason why we had cloud cover in southern BC is because of this. Now I want to mention though, this is good news. Generally a southerly flow in of moisture into the southern interior is great. It brings substantial moisture to those areas. Still areas like boundary region under a level four drought. Whereas if it moves from west to east, it moves over the coast mountain and dries out that air mass. So this is good. But it has meant some snow fall for the Kootenai Pass. There is a snowfall warning there 20 centimeters into tomorrow afternoon. Also a dense fog advisory for BC Peace River. Reduced visibility expected as well as cold enough there that we could see some ice um, because of that moisture in the fog sort of solidifying on surfaces. So watch for icy conditions as well. All right, a clearing trend for the south coast area. We'll still see some rainfall in the southeastern corner of the province. Snowfall for the mountain passes, but that will clear out pretty quickly. So this is your Tuesday forecast. Again, watch for icy conditions in Fort St. John region. Uh, showers are just in the morning. We do have a slight chance of showers in through the Fraser Valley early tomorrow morning, but otherwise it really will be a nice bright day for everyone to enjoy the fall colors once again. 10 degrees will be our daytime high. We'll see showers on a Wednesday and it is going to remain wet as we head into the next few days. So tonight's central windows weather window, I th thought I'd follow up with one photo of the Aurora from further north. So this is north of Prince George at Summit Lake where they saw beautiful conditions. Uh, with that aurora. Thanks to Megan for that. That's beautiful. Thank you, Christy. Stunning. All right. Uh, Squires here. Big game for the uh, for the Canucks tonight against the Oilers, who have been struggling this season. <laughs> well, that's a nice way to put it. <laughs> I think people in Edmonton are using many monosyllabic words. 
to describe <laughs> what the Oilers have been doing so far or not mm -hmm. doing, as the case may be. Uh, there are two teams at the opposite end of the spectrum with the Canucks being where everybody thought the Oilers would be at this point. I think you can just feel in the locker room, guys are committed. They want to win. You know, we're not playing loose hockey. We're not playing selfish hockey. That's the face of a hockey player. Yep. That the cut near the eye. Quinn Hughes was named the NHL's first star of the week after a week where he had a five-point game against San Jose. Also tonight, AI holiday shopping. How the algorithm is watching you. Busy few days for sports fans in Vancouver mm -hmm. Square. Yes, right down in going. Stadium Row. Yes, yep. the Canucks tonight as well. And uh, speaking of the Canucks, Quinn Hughes has been named the NHL's first star of the week. He had eight points in three games last week. Seven of those were assists. He also tied a Canucks record last week for defensemen with five points in one game against San Jose. He leads all defensemen in scoring right now. He also leads... Every player in the NHL in plus-minus, he's a plus-14. Now tonight, Hughes and the Canucks will host Edmonton, the team they've already defeated twice at the start of the season. And those two games really flipped the way this season has gone because instead of the Oilers being good and the Canucks being mediocre, it's the other way around. But you'd have to think Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl will really try to dominate this one tonight and pull the Oilers with them because they've got to save their season right now. With more on this game, let's go down to Rogers Arena and Jay. Command, energy, compete, invest. Four words inside the Canucks dressing room that sums up this hockey team right now. The Vancouver Canucks are off to the best start in franchise history. They're 8-2-1. and one. As for the Edmonton Oilers, they're going in the complete opposite direction. Just two wins in the Oilers' opening 10 games and a win tonight by the Vancouver Canucks over the Oilers, and they're 14 points up on Edmonton. It feels good to win. Um, you know, the challenge for us is, is going to make sure we keep the same mindset, uh, keeping the consistency going. I think you can just feel in the locker room, guys are committed. They want to win. You know, we're not playing loose hockey. We're not playing selfish hockey. Guys are on top of people. They're playing how the system's designed to be played. And we got some players that are playing really, really good right now. Only Vegas, the defending Stanley Cup champions, have scored more goals this season than your Vancouver Canucks. Canucks' goal differential of plus 26 is best in the entire National Hockey League. Elias Pettersson continues to be tied for the NHL scoring lead with Jack Hughes. Brock Besser tied for third, most goals scored. JT Miller's in top 10 for points. And on the blue line, Quinn Hughes, just named the NHL's first star, leads all defensemen in scoring. In the crease, Thatcher Demko has the most shutouts and most wins this season. You add it all up, and it's no surprise that this team looks more than capable of making the playoffs. It feels calm. When we uh, make the big mistake, it doesn't feel as panicky. And, um, you know, we've gotten a taste of what it's, you know, the identity of the group is. And uh, we started to do it a little last year, and then this year we really, you know, since the Philly game and took a deep breath from the Edmonton games, uh, I thought we've really started a good thing here, and not just with wins and losses. You know, I think we've been a good job of holding ourselves accountable as a group, not just wins, losses, or goals and assists. And I think that that's good because that helps you get your identity. I don't see the highs and lows around here, and um, yeah, we're, you feel good about yourself, confidence-wise. But you know, the next day it seems like guys get back on track really quick because you know it goes either way. Sometimes you can get a little too roller coaster, and I haven't seen that with this team. 
It was a full-on game day skate here this morning for the Canucks pregame skate. Teddy Bluger was on the ice for the Vancouver Canucks. Rick Talk is still unsure when he's going to join the Canucks and play his first game for the Vancouver Canucks. Thatcher Demko, the first goalie to leave the ice, so we believe that he will start for the third straight night for the Vancouver Canucks. Following tonight's game against the Edmonton Oilers, the Canucks on the road for a three-game Eastern road trip that begins Thursday in Ottawa. With your ringside report, Jay Janower, Global Sports. Gonzalez, he goes down. Let's face it, there are some parts of the world where soccer fans would have jumped onto the pitch and chased referee Tim Ford into the streets if they were subjected to the kind of refereeing he displayed in the Whitecaps LAFC game last night. And it's not just a questionable penalty kick, but outright getting in Alessandro Schaff's way when Vancouver's trying to score a tying goal late in the game. It wasn't good refing, and Vanny Sartini was red-carded and kicked out after running onto the field and complaining. Okay, mind you, it does need to be said, the Whitecaps were fortunate, I thought, to be down only 1-0 at halftime. Let's face it, LAFC is a better team. But with bad refereeing, they were pretty much unbeatable. However, while we all love the honesty and the emotion of Vanny Sartini, the people who love Major League Soccer, they're not going to love it. The people who run Major League Soccer will not run it. His comments about the ref after the game are eventually going to get him fined and suspended, likely for probably some games at the start of next season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The referee was a disaster. We have to be completely honest. The referee was a disaster. Everyone can have a better, a worse performance than another one. Today they have, a, they have a worse performance probably of his season. I actually like him as a referee. You know, uh, at the end, uh, we didn't have a fair chance, to be honest. And uh, because today, unfortunately, the referee had a bad game. He likes Tim Ford as a referee, but when mm -hmm. he left the pitch, he gave him the goodbye sign, but just using his middle finger. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that what that is? <laughs> that was his way of saying, bye, my friend. Bye. Yeah. yeah, I really like you. <laughs> I really like you. I think you're number one. <laughs> uh, I don't think that's what he meant. The Italian so. salute. All right. Thanks, Squire. <laughs> Thanks very much, Squire. Up next, artificial intelligence in advertising and how it could be a game changer for holiday shopping. All right, Jordan Armstrong is here now with a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jordan? Sophie Violence at a South Vancouver strip club for the second weekend in a row. Police say a man was stabbed inside the gallery on Southwest Marine Drive six days after two men were shot outside the establishment. At 11, what investigators are saying about the most recent victim. And, of course, we'll have the latest on the search for Randall Hopley. If there are any developments, we'll update you tonight. Sophie? All right, thanks for that, Jordan. So, if you're counting, just 49 days left until Christmas. And if you've already started shopping, as some have, chances are you got some help from artificial intelligence. We're going to have to get on it sooner. I go to later. the bank machine. That's my shopping. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> More and more retailers are turning to AI tools to predict what will entice you to spend this upcoming season. From Alexa making your shopping lists to facial recognition tech at Sephora telling you what makeup to buy, artificial intelligence is fast becoming retailers' favorite new tool. They're looking to drive sales, they're looking to reduce costs, they're looking to increase their speed to market. 
Uh, and AI is able to achieve all of those things uh, for businesses, retailers included. With the softening economy going into the holiday season, retailers are leaning more heavily on AI to predict how customers will spend their money. It's never been a tougher time in retail. So retailers need these new tools just to sort of keep up and hit you know, their targets in terms of sales and profits. AI can help customers find what they need, it makes it easier for customers to find things. And help sellers reach the right audience. They show the right ad to the right customer at the right time uh, on the right screen. Last week, Shopify president Harley Finkelstein told analysts that AI is helping sellers on their platform grow their businesses. It's really embedded across Shopify to make these workflows and our products just easier to, to use. It makes it easier for merchants to run and scale their businesses. And of course, you know, it, we, we think it's going to unlock a ton of possibilities for not just small merchants, but merchants of all sizes. In September, Amazon rolled out AI tools to help their sellers generate advertisements. Retailers at Google saw sales jump 18% thanks to that platform's new AI features. And now the company says more sellers are signing up. 80% of the retailers we work with are leveraging at least one AI-powered uh, solution from Google. Uh, to help build their brand, to help drive sales both online and in their stores. Though efficient for sellers, these technologies raise privacy concerns for customers. If consumers found out that retailers were scraping their social media, looking at search engines, they might feel a little offended by that. They might feel that their privacy is violated. But as awareness grows, Winder says soon customers may expect their retailers to use AI. They're going to say, hey, I know you guys have AI. I know people are using it. Make my life easier, please. You know, give me more convenience, please. Nivrita Ganguly, Global News, Toronto. It's like brave. a personal yeah. shopper. Yeah, it's a brave new world. I like, I like to do my shopping at 7-Eleven on Christmas Eve. Yeah, me too. <laughs> people Bunch really appreciate cards? a Slurpee in the morning. <laughs> for Christmas. Oh. I would. If it was coming from you, Squire, anybody would want that. Well, okay, last word. That counts. <laughs> last word quickly, Christy. Sure. So a nice day tomorrow. Enjoy the fall colors. Before you know it, they'll be gone, everyone. We've got rainfall on the way for later in the week. All right. Thanks very much. Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a good night. Good night, all.